We're thankful that your spirit does just that, that your spirit lives to convict, your spirit lives to correct us, to comfort us, to show us the right way, Lord. So thank you that we can sing those words with confidence that, um, Lord, in every adversity, in every valley, in every sin struggle, in every season of life, you are drawing us closer to you and you will draw us closer to you, O oh God. And so we um, just ask that this morning, your word, Lord, would penetrate deep. God, that you would, um, in the power of the Spirit, Lord, um, Lord, show those parts of us that aren't like you, Lord. And we pray we would be sanctified all the more um, as your word is set forth among us. Father, I lift up a, a special prayer for um, David and Patty. We pray for David that you would heal his body. We pray, Lord, that you would just touch his lungs, touch his chest, and heal him, God. And just do a, a gracious work to restore him. And we're just thankful for their love for you, their love for us. And just ask that you would um, be upon their home, Lord Jesus. And Lord, our tither offering, all that you've given to us, we pray, Lord, with open, cheerful hands and hearts, Lord, we would give back. And um, Lord, trust that you multiply. Um, Lord, what you call us to give for your name's sake, for our church here at Providence and for your kingdom. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. It's good to be uh, with you. We're going to be in Psalm chapter 107. Russian roulette with the Bible continues. I'm not doing anything. I just kind of open my Bible each week and pick. So uh, nothing, nothing in particular. Just whatever I feel led to preach. So we'll start Colossians in the fall, but right now I just keep feeling called back to different psalms. So I've been going through the psalms and I mean, yeah, pointing my finger, but I feel led of the Lord. I shouldn't say it's so random, but Psalm 107 this week. I want to do 107. Did you know that I was preaching on thanks when you did the whole thanks thing in the beginning? I knew you were on 107. Okay. All right. I was like, wow, that's really on theme. Okay, okay. Psalm chapter 107, um, verses 1 through 3, and I'll read it for us. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. For His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Um, I've been rereading the account of uh, the English Puritans that make their, made their voyage to New England. And if you've never read that story, I encourage you to read it. Um, it's, it's not just fascinating. It'll really embolden your faith. And it'll really teach you uh, what the word thanks means. Um, it'll, it'll lead you to be thankful for the shirt on your back, uh, for the food you have every day. But much more, it'll, it'll, it'll put an overarching theme of thanks over your whole life. Um, the Puritans were convicted um, of how God should be worshipped. They were convicted of certain truths and they were willing to give up their lives uh, to find it. And most of them, uh, at least half of them, didn't live uh, through the first winter. And the rest of them almost starved to death. I mean, lived off of barely nothing. And it was hard and it was brutal. And really it was the sheer grace of God that they, 
that they survived at all. And, and it makes us realize that the things that are in the palms of our hands, from, from food um, to the roof over your head to your health, so many things that God gives you, God, God supplies you with, not just so you can enjoy it. He does give those things so you can enjoy them. God gives you every good thing that you could say, isn't God good? Look what God has done. Life is, if we were in a right place before God, just a means of giving thanks. It's a means of just seeing how overwhelmingly good God is. That, that's a heart that's right before God. And I think Psalm 107, as simple as it is, you could pass over it, give thanks to the Lord, and you say, oh, of course, I give thanks. Yes, we should all give thanks. It's a much deeper, fuller thanks, and that's what I want us to see this morning. He starts and he says, oh, give thanks. He doesn't just say give thanks, but there's an oh there. And that oh is important because it's a genuine heartfelt passion on the psalmist part, it's a really, really, it's an emphasis. Everybody, somebody, someone give you a gift, it's really expensive, and you don't just say thanks, like, oh, no, seriously, you shouldn't have done it. Oh, I'm really grateful. It's, it's, it's deep in the heart. It's deep in the heart. It's different from, oh, thanks, that's what you got me for Christmas this year, or even, hey, thanks, I appreciate you, you know, cutting my grass while I was out of town. It's not, it's not so flat, this godly thanks. It's a wholehearted, fiery, thank you, God, from the bottom of my soul. He's zealous that his own heart, he's zealous that the people of God's heart give thanks. He says, God is good. God is good. And particularly the kind of good that he's describing here, that Hebrew word good, it means esteem, honor. Give to God the esteem. Give to God uh, the thanks, the respect. There is this, this inestimable value to who God is. He deserves to be esteemed. That, that's the kind of good we're talking about here. It's a unique goodness that God and God alone has. And he doesn't leave us guessing about why God is so good or esteemed or honored. He tells us quite plainly. He says, because God's love is steadfast and it endures forever. I love the word steadfast in the Old Testament scripture here because it, it could be rightly rendered loyal love. God's love is a loyal love. God's love is a faithful love. God's love doesn't change. And it's not like, well, it doesn't change for a couple thousand years, and then in a couple thousand years, a couple millennia, it will change, and then it's really constant for a couple thousand more. Not at all. The psalmist is saying as far back as you can go, as far, far forward as you can go in time, right now, believe it, God's love, it is the exact same thing. It is a loyal love to you eternally. It's inestimable. The psalmist says, give thanks. He's overwhelmed with it. And it's not a moment. It's not a moment. It's a life. It's a life of thanks. Church, we should have that same conviction to give thanks. You know why it's so amazing? God doesn't change. You change. You are not constant. I am not constant. 
Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. This is a powerful verse. God says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Here's why you and I don't get what we deserve. Because God doesn't change in His loyal love to you. That's why. He's constant in that love. We go to the garden and we see Adam and Eve and they changed. They became unlike God. They unloved Him. But God didn't give them what they deserved. He was loyal to them. And we see the Old Testament saints as wishy-washy as anyone can possibly be. They're hot for God. They're worshiping the pagan gods. They're separate from the pagan nations. They're mingling with the pagan nations. They're loyal. They're unloyal. And that's the story throughout the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we see a bunch of failing, erring, silly disciples. And we see a bunch of churches ridden with sin. We've got to write letters to these churches steeped in sin. And then we come to the story of you. Not literally, unless you have a biography written about you, and that way you're really important. But your story, if there was a biography with your name and your face on it, you know, it would have seasons of wandering in it. It would have, it would have sad tales of sinful pleasure. It would talk about passions for worldly pursuits. It would talk about your failures as a father, your failures as a mother, your hateful thoughts, your unkindness to others, your shortness in prayer, your carelessness for the Scriptures, your lack of commitment to the local church and disciple-making. But you would never read at the end of that book of your life, and thus, they were consumed. Thus, they were overwhelmed. Thus, they got what they deserved in the great judgment of God. You know why? Because God does not change. He loves you with a loyal love. He does not unlove those whom He loves. It's not in His nature. It's not in His character. 1 John tells us God is love. Numbers 23, 19, God says, it says, God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. He has said it and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? God unchangeably loves. Now here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that when you sin, God turns to look the other way. I love them so much, I'm going to ignore them and they're wrong so they don't get in trouble for what they're doing. It's quite the opposite. God loves you so much, He's going to give you a holy spanking sometimes. You need a holy spanking. I need a holy spanking sometimes. And that, that's part of God's love. But much more, this unique loyal love, it's not just an in-the-moment correction. It's a loyal love that's going to love you until you don't sin anymore. It's a loyal love that's going to love you until you don't desire to sin anymore. Love requires great sacrifice, right? Love's not a feeling. Love for others is so often measured in what you're willing to do for them. And if we were then, friends, to, to consider, look at what has God done for me? How does God love me with a loyal, unique love? In what way has God truly sacrificed for me? Friends, we can look at no other place than the cross of Jesus and see there He has been loyal and loved us in a way we did not deserve. I see in the cross of Christ, Jesus being consumed with the wrath of God. I see in the cross of Christ, Jesus being cut off 
from the Father for my sake. I see Jesus being separated so that I can be approved of in the presence of God. So the psalmist says, even though he doesn't, he doesn't fully see the cross the way that you and I do, which should make us be all the more thankful, we should say, oh, thank you, God. You have loyally, perfectly loved me in Jesus. And it's in Jesus you've taken away my sin and you're making me new. I believe that when we have such a crisp, clear, explicit view of God's love for us in Christ Jesus, we can't help but be thankful. A thankfulness that results from encountering the cross of Christ. It's more than, it's more than yes, I went to church today and I, I was thankful to God as we sang the songs. You should be thankful and, you know, as you come to worship and sing the songs. But this Christian thankfulness church, it's a frame of heart. It's a mindset brought on by the reality of the gospel. And it's so because we not only see it woven so often throughout the Psalms, and we do, you see it dozens and dozens of times throughout the New Testament. Paul saying, the New Testament writer is saying, be thankful, be thankful, give thanks, give thanks, be thankful, be thankful. In so many circumstances, in fact, in 1 Thessalonians 5 Paul says, give thanks in every circumstance. That's God's will for your life. God's will for your life is to be thankful for God. Gospel-produced thankfulness engenders satisfaction. When you come to the cross of Jesus and you see how God has been loyal to you and you see how much God gave to save you, you know what you are? You're satisfied in a way that pleasure of sin could never satisfy you. You have joy in a way that temporal happiness could never really make you happy. When you see Jesus and you're thankful for what God has done for you, you have a a certain sort of satisfaction as you just thank God for what you have in Christ Jesus. It's a perfect sort of satisfaction. Gospel-produced thankfulness, it quiets the soul in adversity. All that could go wrong, and a lot does go wrong in life, Thankfulness for the loyal love of God means I know that the adversity I'm experiencing, God put it there because He loves me and He's doing something through it. And I can experience the worst of life because I know as I look at the loyal love of God in Christ Jesus, this isn't going to last forever and I'm going to be with God in glory someday. My lot now is not my eternal lot. My eternal lot is in Christ Jesus because God's loved me in such a way, and I'm thankful for that. And I don't have time to waste on bickering and whining and complaining about this or that or other. I've got way too many things to be thankful for. Christians don't fret or sweat. You fret because life is going awry and you can't be in control. And you sweat because you fear things that God has already overcome. Reminds me of John Wesley. If you've ever read the, the account of John Wesley, John Wesley is on his way to the, the colonies uh, to, to evangelize the, you know, natives, Indians, and that ship about goes under, and everyone on board is screaming and flailing, except for the group of Moravian believers. Even the children are just sitting there calm, then they just do nothing. They're perfectly still the whole ride. And it impacts John Wesley the rest of his life. These people had so much faith in God that they would just be calm as they almost lost their lives. Gospel-produced thankfulness, it creates harmony between believers. 
you know, you and I are terribly good at nitpicking one another to death. We're terribly good at keeping records of your wrongs against me. And you keep records of my wrongs against you. And I get offended when you do that and you got on my nerves and you didn't say that and this happened and that happens. But you know what Paul says? He says, forgive one another, love one another. And he says in Colossians, and be thankful. And it's not without cause. Because friends, when you and I look at Jesus and when you look at God's unique, loyal love, you know what happens when we stare at that kind of love Paul's teaching us? We're able to love and forgive the way that God has loved and forgiven us in Christ Jesus. So when you're truly dwelling on and thankful for that love, that unique, loyal love of God, it's really not possible to be out of sync and out of harmony with God's people. God's loyal love comes through you to brothers and sisters in your life. And lastly, gospel produced thankfulness that enlivens worship. Paul says in Colossians 3.16, sing hymns, spiritual hymns with what? Thankfulness in your heart. Friends, our, our worship, it stems from this reality of God's faithful, steadfast, loyal love. Is your worship kind of boring? Do you mumble your words on Sundays? Do you just kind of, your hat, you're thinking about something else and you're kind of singing? It's because you're not thankful for God's loyal love in Christ Jesus. Godly gratitude is the grace of seeing and enjoying God. It's being free from the misery of self-focus and self-obsession. That's what it is. I'm not much of a photographer. I bought a nice camera once thinking I was going to you know, get into it, and I didn't. Um, but even if you've messed with your camera on you know, your phone, you, you go to take a picture and you look at it and you realize, ah, it's out of focus. It, it didn't focus. And like, it might be really bad or it might even be just a little bit. And it's not a, a worthy photo for that reason, right? Because you're not really seeing what's there. It's not the beautiful thing you were trying to capture. That's the same thing when you and I don't live with thanks to God. Thanks is like a, a clarifying lens. It, it explicitly shows us. It explicitly reminds us of who God is. And when you keep that lens of thankfulness on your heart to God, it rearranges everything else in your life. Everything else in your life. And it's not that, you know, all of church history doesn't need to hear this. But it certainly is, I think, in our, in our you know, be self-fulfilled, be self-focused, be self-gratified age. Friend, you that much more need to fight to be thankful for who God is, thankful for what God has done, and allow that to shape every area and situation of your life. I want to say to you this morning, are you, are you the anxious sort? Worry, freaking out. It's because you're not really resting in the gospel. You're really not thankful for what Christ has done. Because if you were thankful as you ought to be for what Christ has done, you would know that God's already over it and in it. You the quarreling sort? You like to, you like to get in little, little fights here and there? You like to complain about this and that? You like to make a fuss about what he did, she said, all this? You know why? It's because you're not resting in the gospel and thanking God that he has loved you, an imperfect person, a sinner. Are you the despairing sort? You let sin and you let trials overwhelm you and you lose hope. Stop. 
and be thankful for the perfect love of God that has uniquely, faithfully loved you. Are you the next best sort? I'm looking for one more toy. I'm looking for one more thing. Uh, I just want to be happy and I'm, I'm just getting more stuff and I'm always just trying to get that or do that. And it's one more thing. It's one more thing and you lack contentment. Can I say to you, you're not thanking God enough for what's already perfectly satisfying in His Son, Christ Jesus? Friends, let us remember the loyal love of God. And in that, you will have an overwhelming flood of, of thanks pouring out of you. Are you thankful to God? Are you thankful for the gospel? In verse 2, the psalmist says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. The psalmist is, is really intent on the recipients of God's steadfast, loyal love, saying it out loud, expressing it. Look in Exodus chapter 15, verse 13. This is the song of Moses right as they've been led out of slavery in Egypt. Moses sings, You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You've guided them by your strength to your holy abode. He says, why are, why are we redeemed? What is our redemption? Moses said, it's your steadfast love. It's your steadfast love. And redemption, certainly in the Old Testament sense, it carries, it carries the idea of one being saved from bondage. Um, it carries the idea of slavery. Someone's in slavery and someone else had to pay their way out. Someone had to make some kind of sacrifice for them to get out. You, you set them free from their old master and, and now they're new. Now they're free. They, they've been redeemed. You, you've bought them back. That's exactly the theme and idea that Moses is talking about, the people being saved from slavery. And the idea is carried here in our psalm as well. And the psalmist... We're not going to read the whole thing because it's 43 verses. But the psalmist, all throughout chapter 107, he really wants the people to know how deep and how bad their slavery was. In verse 4, he says, Mankind was like people wandering in the desert with no city, hungry and thirsty. That's what it was like before God uniquely loved you. Verse 10, it says, We're like those who sit in darkness, prisoners in irons for our rebellion. Verse 17 says we're like foolish people through our sinful ways. And verse 23 says, apart from God's loyal love, you're like a person who's in a ship at sea caught in a deadly storm and you're this close to capsizing. So that's pretty, that's pretty explicit. It's pretty, pretty like, you know, loud how much he's saying. This is how bad your plight is. But here's what's amazing about chapter 107. The psalmist gives the exact same response to each four illustrations. Whether it's to the one in the desert with no city, to the one in darkness in prison, to the fool, and to the ship, it's, the ship caught at storm at sea. Look at verse 8 with me. 107.8 Let them thank the Lord 
for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Verse 15, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. 21, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. And verse 31, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. See, the psalmist says, had you been wondering had you been wandering out in the desert with no city? Guess what? God's loyal love has made a straight path for you to his abiding city that doesn't fail. Had you, had you been in darkness and chains? Guess what? God's loyal love will break off your bonds. Were you a foolish person? Do you deserve destruction? Guess what? God's loyal love would save you. Have you been at sea? Wandering from God, going on your own way, getting ready to capsize. He says, well, you know you have a lot of things to give God because He brought you safely into His port. Each of those plights is so remarkable, yet He says, in whatever situation or circumstance a person can find themselves, God's loyal love will reach them. And I want you to hold on to that because as much as this is you know, good news you know, for people who are apart from God. It's really good news for you as a believer when you feel you've gone too far. Sometimes you feel cast off, like you're not getting it, you're not doing it right, you're stuck in a besetting sin. Look at Psalm 107. Is your life a ship at sea getting ready to capsize? Is it, is it like as bad as you can imagine it? Guess what? The psalmist says, thank God because his loyal love can reach you there. Have you been foolish? Have you been doing some foolish, sinful stuff? Guess what? God's loyal love can find you where you are. Are you in the dark? He'll shine his light on you. You see, in every situation, the love of God is reminding not just people who haven't come, but people who have come, you cannot be, you will not be let go because God's love is so loyal to you, though you be as unloyal as a ship going in the opposite direction. These are remarkable, self-inflicted calamities. But God has gone to incredible lengths, has He not, in Jesus to save you so that you can say, thank you, God. You didn't just say, I didn't have a flat tire on the side of the road. My car blew up. And I was in it. And God saved me. God called me to Himself. He showed me the beauty of His Son he turned my heart away from my sin. He washed me clean as if I had never committed those sins. He has called me loved. He has called me dear. He has called me precious. He has called me child. That's the kind of love that David says, oh, people of God, wouldn't you just give up a thanks to the Lord for that? I mean, have you dwelled long enough on your sin? Because if you have, you would dwell even longer on your Savior. He says, though, if you're that person... Here's what you would do, though. You would say so. If you're truly redeemed, if you're among God's redeemed, I mean, you've been bought back, you've been brought back, you've been brought into the home, the palace, the kingdom of God, you're a child of God, you're a co-heir with Christ. Christ is your brother. If this, if this is so, he says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. In other words, if, if such a great salvation has been yours, you know what you're not going to do is keep it to yourself. 
What you're not going to do is just think about it. What you're going to do is open your mouth and say, God has done this thing in my life. God has done this and it's overflowing out of me. What is your say-so this morning? I want to ask you that. What is your say-so? What do you evangelize about? What do you talk about? Because the thing that you find yourself most talking about, bickering about, going on about, that's what your heart serves. That's what your heart really loves. And I wonder if the magnitude of our salvation matches our joy and obedience in talking about it. Because you know you do it with movies. Have you seen that movie? Oh, it's so good. Do you have a Netflix account? It's on Netflix. You don't have a Netflix account? You should get a Netflix account. Oh, it's such a good movie. Have you eaten there? Oh, so, oh, you've got to try. Oh, it's so good. And we just go on and we go on about vacation spots and we go on and on and on about all these little things that just capture our joy and our thanks that they exist and the gospel is left off of our tongues. Friend, let your say so be Jesus and his gospel. Because you know the great thing about our say so is it's not just, i got to share it because it's so great to me. It is a great benefit to the one who hears it. It can be their say-so. Let me tell you about my bonds that were burst. And let me tell you about the darkness that became light. Let me tell you about my ship. It was at sea. Let me tell you how I had no home and I had no city, no food, no drink, and how Christ fed me and he gave me drink and he clothed me and he called me his own and he, he brought me into an eternal abiding city. That... that kind of joy about the gospel, about eternity, God uses that to be a witness, which the people of God were supposed to be in the Old Testament through their life of obedience, which you and I as the church are supposed to be in our obedience in how we talk about it to the world. So here's what I don't want. I don't want a bunch of people that do evangelism out of guilt. Ah, it was a sermon on evangelism. So I'm going to like white knuckle it and I'm going to just go say something to that guy. And then in a few months when I don't feel as guilt, you know, guilty again and I'll do it again because there's another. I don't want that from you. I don't want that for you. I don't want that for myself. And I think we often have a very works-based, you know, righteousness when it comes to evangelism. Like, God, I did it. I share the gospel. Are you happy with me now? And it's just, it's just the whole frame of thinking that way. It's wrong. But, but if you and I lived with this, this, this true tenor, tenor and tone of thankfulness for the gospel, I wouldn't have to convince you, you would be telling me about it. It would be different. Like, let me say something to like convince you to do the thing you don't want to do. It wouldn't be that. It would be, of course, of course, because I'm redeemed, I have to say so. Don't you want to say so? Jonathan Edwards says, when the soul of a true believer receives God's light, its nature is changed and it becomes properly a luminous thing. Not only does the sun shine in the saints, but they also become little suns, partaking of the nature of the fountain of their light. So he's saying not only is the light in you, but the light's visible as it shines through you. It's in you and it shines through you. So if you're if you're a dad, if you're a mom, best place, first place to start, are you saying so in your home? Is your home a place 
where redemption is said so? Is your home a place where the gospel is preached? Is, is your home a place where the gospel is being brought up to taught lessons? Is the gospel being preached when, when you maybe you do parent wrong? Is the gospel being thanked? You know, you thank God for the gospel at mealtimes. Are, are, you, are you rearing up a, a home of, of people who are thankful for the gospel? I'm reading a book right now by a guy and he's talking about how he finds himself in these situations um, with, with people and they're crying because they're adult children. You know, they left the faith. They got into college and it was just gone. And, and what he always finds to be the case is they weren't a home where the gospel was preached and preached and preached and discipled. It was, it was very much so compartmentalized. Don't do that in your home. We can't do that in the church. Say so. Say so. You've got spheres of influence at work. You've got spheres of influence in your family. You've got spheres of influence with friends and acquaintances and neighbors. Friends, let the Spirit lead you to say so. I'm grateful um, as much as I love her for Haley because she wants to go to New York City and tell a bunch of lost people about Jesus. She wants to go to New York, to Queens, and she wants to say so. And that's amazing. And we should pray for her. And we should, we should encourage her. I'm encouraged because uh, Kate's starting to make inroads with the pregnancy center and, and with uh, the rescue mission. Women, There's a, a women's side of it now. And we're talking about these events we can put on for these ladies and these things we can do to love them. I'm super excited about our, our little hats here. Look at this. Zamira made this. Look, look, it's got ears. It's a hat for a baby saved from abortion. It's got ears. And we're going to turn these in this week. And we're going to give them 65. Is that what you said? Look at that. That's a saying so. That's a saying. That's us preaching the gospel right there. Friends, say so. We've got to say so. He says he's called them in from the east, from the west, from the north, from the south. He's drawing us all in. He's drawn all peoples in. Everyone everywhere, equally undeserving. He's drawn us all to say, thanks. Oh, thanks. Oh, God, we thank You. Oh, God, we praise You. For You have loved us with a loyal love. With a loyal love. You know, the woman at the well, she didn't just find her life in Jesus. What could she not help but do? Come, come meet this guy who's told me everything about myself, which he didn't. She just so connected with Jesus. She, this, but he knows me and he loves me. Come meet this Jesus. You know, she couldn't help it. Jesus didn't have to give her a three-part class on how to evangelize. It was just, I got to tell people. I just want to live with her. I want to live with her. And I confess I don't always live with that. But I, I believe that God, God will give us such a passion for the gospel that we do. Friend, let us give thanks for our salvation in Jesus. It is inestimable. It is beyond words. Won't we join together as a church to give account of it to the lost and dying world? Won't we tell them about how wonderful Jesus is? Verse 43, at the very end of this psalm, he says, Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider steadfast love of the Lord. Oh, let's consider the steadfast 
love of the Lord. Give thanks to God. Your very existence, your redemption in Christ, everything good that you have, you have it because God has given it to you. And He's given you in Jesus more than enough, hasn't He? Let us give thanks. Let us give thanks. Father, this morning we bless Your name. We, we thank You for Your wonderful grace, Lord. We, um, um, we just say thank You for... Lord, more than we could know, more than we could have, um, and that's eternal life in Jesus. I just want to give you a few moments this morning um, just to say thanks. Maybe you can't remember the last time you said thanks to God for the shirt on your back or for your children, for your parents, for this, for that. Maybe you just need to say thanks for the small and the big things and just ask God to create a heart in you that's always saying thanks. Thanks.